Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Well, friends, good evening and Merry Christmas. It's just so good for us to be together here tonight. It's uh, just looking out, it's like, it's just, there's so much beauty, so much beauty in our midst. I just want to say a word of welcome to anybody who's visiting with us tonight uh, from other parishes, other cities, other dioceses. As Deacon Rich always says, you are always welcome here at our liturgies at Sacred Heart. Come, what is the line? Come, come often, come every time, come all the time, bring your envelopes. What is it? What do you say? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just training to be a pastor one day. I think that's the thing you have to say. Friends, it is so good for us to be here tonight. I, uh, I want to invite us tonight to soak in the beauty. The beauty of the church's liturgy that's all around us and the beauty of the story that we are being invited to meditate on. Because who would have imagined? Who could have ever dreamt that God would have done this for us? Like the God who hung the stars in the heavens, lying beneath the heavens. The God who split the sea in two, lying on straw. The God of endless strength and might, wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's, the story is meant to constantly fill us with wonder and awe and delight. So what I want to do tonight in this homily is I want to, like I said, invite us into the beauty. And I'm just going to tell you up front right now, there is not going to be anything practical at the end of this homily. There's going to be nothing. There's no like, okay, now these three steps, or here's the three things I want you to do, or the three things I want you to focus on for Christmas. No, just simply an invitation into the beauty, into the mystery. And I want to start with this beauty meditation by talking about a movie from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I know, we weren't expecting that. Okay, so uh, I want to start by talking about Avengers Age of Ultron. Now, I get it. In the history of cinema, of the top 500 most beautiful films, Age of Ultron does not come anywhere close on the list. You've got Shawshank Redemption, you know, Schindler's List, It's a Beautiful Life, Wizard of Oz. Age of Ultron doesn't make the list. But there's a moment, there's a moment in this movie, a tiny seemingly insignificant moment in this summer blockbuster superhero movie from a few years ago that is so pregnant with so much meaning if you have the eyes to see it. And in total transparency, I didn't have the eyes to see this. It was a friend of mine about a week and a half ago who just related this anecdote to me. and It's just rocked my world. I've been thinking about it ever since for the last several days. It's just been sitting in my heart and I, I can't... Uh, it's just been a source of meditation. So, all right, so a little background. If you haven't seen any of these Avengers movies, Age of Ultron, let me get you caught up to speed. Welcome to 2022. Okay, so these have been some of the biggest blockbuster superhero films of the last decade and a half, beginning back in 2008 when they released Iron Man with Robert Downey Jr., right? Iron Man, he's the billionaire playboy genius engineer guy, right? So he fights crime in this big iron suit. Anyway, so the Marvel... Studio. They've been releasing these films over the past many years. You've 
been introduced to characters and stories and heroes and plot lines. You hear the stories of Captain America and Thor and Black Widow, the Hulk, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, the list goes on. Spider-Man, can't forget Spider-Man. Okay, so these superheroes, some of whom are literally gods in other worlds, like Thor, for example, they slowly coalesce to form an alliance known as the Avengers. Okay, Earth's greatest superheroes defending Earth from the greatest evil that wants to threaten us and destroy everything that's good and beautiful and wholesome in, uh, or on the planet. So, after the Avengers suffered a loss, I'm making these movies sound really riveting, aren't I, right now? It's just the way I'm describing them. They're very good. Okay. So after the Avengers, they've suffered this loss. They needed a place to retreat to and regroup, and they make their way to a little country farmhouse. It turns out it's the home of one of the Avengers. His name is Hawkeye. That's his superhero name. His real-life name is Clint. Okay, so they go to Clint's house, and you see these hulking superheroes moving through the field, wearing their gigantic costumes, things like that, moving through the field into the house, Clint enters the house, and his wife, who's very, very pregnant, she greets him with a kiss. And they're just all taking in this moment, this very domestic moment. And then his kids come running down the steps, and his kids embrace Dad, who moments ago was fighting aliens with a bow and arrow. Not the weapon of choice I would pick, but that's what he was doing. So he gives his kids this big hug, and you see Thor standing there next to Captain America, right? Thor, who's the god of thunder, right? Chris Hemsworth plays Thor. He looks a lot like me, just more hair. (laughs) He's got his armor, his flowing red robes. He's got his war hammer in his hand, and, uh, and he just shifts his weight ever so slightly to the side. And he steps with his massive god sized boot on a little Lego set that's on the ground and just crunches it. And takes his boot and just kicks it off to the side. Friends, that's the moment I want to talk about. That moment right there. Seems like nothing. But it's so powerful. And it's so pregnant with so much meaning, right? Because here you have these incredible warriors who are battling evil on such a cosmic scale. And why? Like, what in the end is it all for? The battles that they fight, the blood that they bleed, the sweat that comes pouring out of their bodies. What is it all for? The battle, the struggle against evil, this cosmic war they engage in is, in the end, in the final analysis, so that Clint here can have a quiet life with his wife and his three kids and that his son can just sit peacefully on the floor and play Legos. Like, the big is for the sake of the small, the seemingly insignificant. Like, the battle that they're fighting is for those Legos. It seems insignificant, but it's everything. Friends, here's perhaps why this has been swirling in my heart these past many days preparing for Christmas. Because you read through the Old Testament... You see a God who is big, who does big things, massive things, cosmic things, flooding the earth, having Noah and his family survive aboard an ark. You see God tearing down humanity's pride with the Tower of Babel. 
You see God going toe-to-toe with Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt, the ten plagues culminating in the death of the firstborn. You see the exodus, God leading his people by mighty signs and powerful wonders out of Egypt into the promised land. God who cuts away through the Red Sea, the water like a wall to the left, a wall to the right, and the ground beneath them is dry as they march through, and the Egyptian army who comes barreling behind them is drowned in the waters. You've got the conquest of the Canaanites, the siege at Jericho, the Israelites surrounding the city and bringing down the walls with a mighty shout. You've got David empowered by God to slay Goliath, the rise and fall of the judges, Samson, the story of him and Delilah. You've got the God who appeared to and spoke to the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the visions that they had. Isaiah with this vision of the throne room of God with God in, on the throne in his train filling the temple. Or Jeremiah, he sees the water flowing out of the right side of the temple, giving life everywhere it goes. Or Ezekiel, the image of the, the glory of God lifting from the temple and leaving the city by the east on these chariot wheels of fire. Or you think of God who spoke to Job out of the whirlwind, right? Job who asks God to justify himself and God who gives him a tour of all of creation and basically says to Job, who are you, oh man, to question me? Like friends, like all of that, all of that, that whole huge chunk of the Bible known as the Old Testament, all those long centuries since the garden, everything that he did, the covenants, the prophets, the patriarchs, The promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to Moses, to David, all of it was for this moment. The moment that we're celebrating and remembering here tonight. And while they were there, the time came for her to have her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Like, I think about God's providence and the way that he unfolded this story, like the movement of plate tectonics beneath the earth's crust, that over the course of eons, things rise and things fall, things change. So like the plate tectonics of providence and grace, they were finally in place. And from the chosen people of Israel that God had been forming over the course of centuries, long, long centuries, this people that have been purified through suffering and tribulation, who've been sustained by great promises and great hope, out of this people of Israel came the, the rarest flower, a young maiden immaculately conceived and perfect. She was, she was our tainted nature's only boast. And then one day, nine months before this day, God came to her with a question. It was a marriage proposal, really, and, and she said yes. And right there in Nazareth, in history, in our history, like the history where all the things have ever happened, in history, a point in time, God became flesh, a tiny, seemingly insignificant zygote nestled within the sanctuary of Mary's womb. She became, in that moment, and from That moment onward, the new Eden, she became the new Ark of the Covenant. She became the new temple. She was literally heaven on earth. 
If heaven is where God dwells, then she was heaven on earth. It's what she was. That's what she is. And again, because of divine providence, she and her husband made their way to a cave in Bethlehem, the city of David, where the prophet said the Messiah would arise. It wasn't because Caesar had decreed. It's because God wanted them there. Caesar was a puppet. So there they were, alone in a cave, surrounded by animals, and those two by themselves welcomed into this world a newborn baby boy. And they wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and they laid him in a manger, a tiny, seemingly insignificant event, hardly noticed by anybody. Nobody in Bethlehem noticed what happened that night. But everything that God had done up to this point was for this moment. He made the universe to be a tabernacle in which he could dwell. He made this world for him to enter it. Everything was for this moment. And like more than we could ever grasp, he wanted to come to us, to be with us, to save us, not by hovering over our humanity, governing us like some distant judge, but he entered into the situation. He entered into it fully as one of us. Jesus, lying in the manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, is, if you will, the Lego set crunched on the ground. Like this is what the cosmic battle and all of the preparations, all of the covenants, all of the patriarchs, all of the suffering, all of it was for this moment to get him here. But there's more because there's always more. Like all of what he did All of what his people suffered and went through was for the sake of getting him there into that manger. And he went there so that he could get to you. And who are you? Tiny, seemingly insignificant you. You are why Christmas happened in the first place. It was not for humanity. It was never for humanity. It's always been just for you. It was always just for you. Like the cosmic battle was fought for you. The unimaginable high dive of the second person of the Trinity into the nothingness of our human flesh, that was for you. He doesn't see crowds, he's never seen crowds. He's only ever had eyes for you. Like, friends, this night, this mass, everything that surrounds us this night, all of the bigness of the liturgy, the big, beautiful decorations, and they are beautiful, all of the big music, all of this, it's for the sake of you to invite you to have a little moment with him, an encounter with him. For some of us, for the very first time, for others of us, a renewed encounter. 
Because if Christmas is ever going to make a difference in our lives, that if this is not going to be just a day that interrupts the rest of the days and we just get back to life as usual come Monday, if Christmas is going to make a difference, we need to say yes to the invitation that lies at the heart of Christmas. So do me a favor right now. Humor me for the next few moments and close your eyes. We heard in the gospel that the angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds, keeping watch over their flocks in that region. They're told this amazing news. They're told where to find this newborn baby, and they're told what they'll see, but we don't hear what happens next in the gospel the church gives us tonight. That section gets cut out. But here's what happens next. Luke says, When the angels went away from them to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go then to Bethlehem, to see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the infant lying in the manger. Other translations will say they ran to the manger. Friends, right now I want to invite you to go with them in your imagination because this is the faculty of our soul that God has given us to experience these realities Feel the cool air rushing past your face. Feel the ground beneath your feet. Together, you with the shepherds, you come to a place where you crest a hill and you look down and you see a small cave opening and the faintest glow of light spilling out of the cave. You approach the mouth of the cave and that's when you see them, the ones the angel told you about and you can barely hear the conversation the man and the woman are sharing. It's hushed and it's intimate, but it's peaceful. One of the shepherds steps forward to explain what had taken place in that field. And they tell them what they had experienced, what they had heard, and that's why they're there. And the man and the woman in the cave, they don't seem surprised one bit by what's being told to them. Seems to be the least interesting thing they've experienced that day. And that's when, from where you're standing, you look in and you see him. Just a little bundled thing. A baby just like any other baby. But somehow not like any other baby. You see Joseph wave his hand. He's, he's motioning for you to come in. You kind of say out loud, who me? Yes, you, he says, with a gentle smile. And you come in and He scooches over, making room for you to be right next to her and right next to that baby. And that woman, Mary, she's so radiant and she's so calm. And she's beautiful in ways that words can't describe, but she's also utterly real. And her eyes are looking intently into yours, and she simply says, Would you like to hold him? And suddenly your mind begins to flip through your past, everything you've been embarrassed by, everything you've been ashamed of, things you've done and things you've failed to do. And you're crushed with the sense of unworthiness and she sees you hesitating and she says, that, all of that, it's why he's here. All of that is why he longs for you. Would you like to hold him? 
And without thinking, the sleeping baby is placed in your arms and this tiny, seemingly insignificant moment, you with him and he with you, this is everything. To know that he has longed for this, delights in this, has dreamt of this, that's everything. This union, this rest, this peace, this is what the entire spiritual life is finally about. Letting him be with you. Letting him love you. Being loved into surrender when our rebellious hearts, which are so full of pride and fear and hiding and manipulating, filled with shame and excuses, when they finally stop playing those games and become the manger, the throne, the tabernacle that they were always meant to be. Friends, that is Christmas. May we savor this beauty. Because beauty has come for us. Beauty was born for us. Beauty is lying in the manger. And beauty has always been longing for your heart.